0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning, church family, as our brother Craig introduced us this morning. It's wonderful to be here with you. Some of you we haven't seen in a little while. We are just thrilled to see all of you. As you, uh, many of you know, we are continuing a study in the book of Ephesians not looking at every single chapter, not looking at every single verse, but kind of a four-part overview of, of the, the book of Ephesians or the, the letter to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to talk today here in, in chapter 4, m- more specifically, about living in peace, unity, love, and kind of the why behind that. Some of these 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 things, I mean, these verses that were read this morning by, by the... Uh, Dustin, thank you. But you've heard those before, right? Where's Where's the so what in that? We're going to unpack that uh, just a little bit. So let's, let's start here looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is in the New King James. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. So this therefore, that second word there, is kind of a summation of the first three uh, chapters of his letter. He gives all of this information. Bruce started last week in talking about who we are in Christ in chapter 1. And he gives all this information. He says, therefore, I, being a prisoner of the Lord. Now, what's he mean by that? He was in house arrest. This is late 50s, early 60 AD, uh, uh, 61-ish AD. He's in house arrest. And while he was in prison, he writes four letters. Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians. And he writes a letter to uh, uh, Philemon as well. He's he's writing this letter to this church in Ephesus. This is the church that Paul spent the most time at. He he spent time with them. He uh, he wrote letters to them. Uh, uh, he he spent time with their elders. We see that recorded in the book of Acts. Uh, one of the um, letters, if you will. One of the communications to the church at Ephesus is found also in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of communication to this church. Why? What's so important about these guys? This was a big deal church. This was a big deal place. This was, this was like New York City, kind of, in a, in a sense. This is a church and a, a city, rather, that was, uh, had a very important port. It was also the crossroads of three major uh, highways, trading routes, um, the temple of Diana or Artemis was there. That was a very big deal in the ancient world. In fact, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, lots of stuff going on. There were also uh, other temples to other, uh, more minor deities, Vesta, Hestia, the goddess of hearts and home. Uh, there's other uh, temples that were there, but there was a a big uh, uh, importance of this town, but also a big importance because this was a major crossroads of Jewish and uh, Gentile Christians. So there was a, a mixture of people here that he was specifically addressing. He was trying to help them understand who they are in Christ and how they're different than their Jewish roots. They are different from their um, uh, temple-worshiping roots, if you will. They're, um, they're, they're different now in Christ. We're going to talk some, some about that, but I just want to give you a little bit of context. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. So he's, he's imploring them, not as an apostle. This is less demanding as an apostle. There are places where he says, this is the command of the Lord. There, and this is a place where he's, he's urging them, begging them. He says, I beseech you. That's an old word. We don't talk about beseech. I, I rarely beseech my wife. I ask my wife. Um, but he's, he's, yes, there's some beg, but it's more implore. It's, it's not about getting on his hands and knees and saying, please, daddy, may I? No, it's more about, I'm, I'm appealing to you on this basis, this basis of yes, who I am in Christ and who Paul is it, it specifically at the time being a, pr- a prisoner But he's also beseeching them based on who they are in Christ. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Calling to what? Or from what? Calling into Christ. Into a relationship with him. And he unpacks that just just here in just a few verses. With, with, so this calling, but with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. This letter and this particular this part in particular is written to the church. Now, are there applications for us outside of the church for our relationships with other people? Absolutely. Are there there applications for us in terms of how we as a church deal with other people, how we individually deal with other people outside of the church body? Absolutely. But this specifically is talking about our relationship with one another. Verses 1 through 6 that you see here is one sentence in Greek. That's why you see a bunch of semicolons in the, in the English. But in, one, in, 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 in the Greek, it's one long sentence. And the main point is verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with, with, with which you were called. That's the main point. The rest of it is an explanation of that point. Well, what is that point? Well, let me back up a minute. I don't want to skip over Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3. I'm not going to look at that in detail, but I want to just give you a gist of what is, is going on there. The reason that God sent Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 2, is because God is creating one people who live in peace with him, at peace with each other, and live obedient toward God. Jesus is our peace, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 14. So if you want to be at peace with God and with people and be part of God's family you repent of your sins you place your allegiance meaning your faith in Christ you are baptized for the remission of your sins and my hope this morning is that that describes everybody in the room that you've heard the call of God as good news and you've obeyed it. If you have not We implore you to do so. We beseech you to do so. But now what? How should you walk, as the the word that Paul uses there that's translated into English as walk, or live, or conduct yourselves? How should you conduct yourselves? Now that you're part of God's family and at peace with God, and that's a big deal being at peace with God. There's lots of passages of Scripture we're not going to go over this morning, lots in, in Revelation, and other, uh, excuse me, in Romans and, and other places, that said you were an enemy of God. In your sins, you were in an enemy of God. You were at, at enmity with Him. And through Christ, you now have peace. You now are one with the Father because of Jesus Christ. But now that you're part of God's family, And at peace with God. How should you be at peace with each other? And the answer is deceptively simple. And it's walk worthy. Ephesians chapter 1. Walk worthy. In Ephesians chapter 2. Paul basically said that you people used to walk a certain way. Notice what he says. And you, Ephesian church, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's Satan. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. He's putting himself in that same boat. He's putting himself in the same position as they were, although he was a Jew, he he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was all these things, and yet he puts himself in the exact same position as these Gentiles who were, some of them, worshipping at the Temple of Diana. And I won't go into the disgusting stuff that went on at the Temple of Diana, but it was sexual debauchery on crack. Well, I don't steroids. We once all conduct, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He said, You had a road you were walking on, that that road was you were the walking dead. But then later in that verse, he says, But for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God gives one explanation, or rather Paul gives an explanation for why God made you a new creation. This is not the only, but God created you in Jesus for him, for good works. For him, for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Your problem from God's perspective was that you were walking down the, road, the, the wrong road in life. You were on the road of sin apart from God, that that leads to death. And God wanted you on the road of obedience, not disobedience. And that road leads to eternal life. Romans 6, other places. So one of the ways of thinking about what salvation means is that it means God picking you up from the road of sin and putting you on the road of obedience toward God. There are other elements to it, other facets to it, but that's certainly the point I think that Paul is, is making here uh, in his letter to the Ephesians, which brings us back to Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called, away from one way of life and into another. A change. Needs to occur. So if God saved you so that you would walk in good deeds. What should you do? What does that look like? Well, it means walk in good deeds. It means walk in a manner worthy of God's calling. Being a part of God's family is a tremendous privilege. Bruce talked about that a little bit last week. You are God's adopted children. That's a big deal. I can speak to that. Being adopted's a kind of a big deal. Right? I, I pick on my sister all the time. Me, they picked, you they were stuck with. They didn't actually pick me. It's not like they went through the lineup and said, hmm, I think we'll pick that one. No, that's, that's not exactly the way it worked. But we can now call God father. So we should act like that's a privilege. God Has glorified you. Look in Romans 8. Moreover, whom he predestined, meaning he had an idea of what his children would look like. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but it does not mean that he said, oh, thousands and thousands of years from now, when Mark Woody is born, he's going to be special. No. It meant this is what my children, my people, my family looks like. They have these characteristics that's what predestiny means in this in this context these he also called whom he called these he justified and whom he justified these also he glorified you know he's talking about us glorifying us making us of value you know we sing songs all the time about we will glorify the king of kings we will all these glorification of god and that's fantastic, exactly what we should do. What we're doing is we're saying, Lord, your name is above all names. We so appreciate what you have done and are doing. We lift you up. We worship you. We deem you worthy. You know, God has done that for us, called us from this low state we were in. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, and all the terrible things he was listing there. He's lifted us out of that. So we should act like God has made us his holy temple, which he has. And where he now lives, he lives in our heart. Walk in a worthy manner. Now, look at the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, 2 through 6. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit. And you know, if I was going to sit down and make a list of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, I'm quite sure that my list would not begin the same way that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is is communicating God's will to us. I don't think I would have started this way. I'm not sure that I would have started with this idea of lowliness and gentleness. But overarching this, Walking in a manner worthy of our calling means living in peace with each other. And that means in peace with your brothers and sisters who are literally in this room right now. Not only those, there are some that are out, that are ill or traveling or whatever. And yes, we have brothers and sisters that are are worshiping in different places, even around the world. But Paul means this very specifically. Now, Am I preaching this because I think that there is a problem or an issue in this congregation? I would preach that if that was the issue, but that's not the case. We don't have, thank God, a a spirit of disunity, a spirit of, of conflict. But Paul is like they did in Ephesus. But there are people in this room that are different than you. That they think differently than you. You see, this is right at the top of the list of God's list of what it means to walk worthy of your calling. You see, we sometimes struggle to understand just how important this is because many of us tend to view our faith as an individual thing. We tend to, when we tell people the good news, when we talk about the gospel, we sometimes will ask something along these lines. Do you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Okay, And that sounds great. Or we'll, we'll say, hey, how are you doing spiritually? And, we'll, and, and people will say, well, uh, or how is your walk with God? And the answer will sometimes be, well, well, I don't really feel close to God right now. Or I really feel close to God right now. In either way, it, It's a personal relationship, and there is an element of truth in that. No question. But sometimes we wonder, I mean, let's be honest. Why we need church? Why do we even need church? Why don't we just stay at home on Sunday and sip some coffee? It was a beautiful morning this morning. You got to spend any time outside. It was like, oh, I need to go inside and get ready. You know, I had to kind of drag. My sometimes it's like, oh, my goodness, it's so miserably hot or miserably cold. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. But sometimes you want to just hang out. Read the copy, read, read the paper, maybe do a devotion, say a few prayers, and wrap things up in time for the pregame shows, right? But if Ephesians chapter two teaches us anything, it's that God's plan is bigger than that. It's bigger than our, my individual relationship with God. It's bigger than that. God is making one nation, one people, one family who will live in peace with him and with each other. Why? Because it was always God's plan that the church be the place that people would see him and his love. That the church would be the place that is the beacon of light. Now, we all individual are beacons of light, no question. But the world needs to see the power of unity, the power of peace, especially at times when there is so much disunity going on. Dale talked about the complications that are going on. They're they're everywhere. I guess they've always been everywhere. Relationships between people's um, you know the Queen died this past week, and and you and you start thinking about relationships that England has had with other nations, good and bad, over the years, and it's just kind of a. It, I mean, British history is kind of complicated because of the lack of peace at, at many times. But so asking people if they want a personal relationship with God, I think, is a bit misleading, myopic, certainly, but maybe even misleading. In fact. I think it's missing the point. The point is, do you want to be part of God's family? A brother, a fellow brother with Christ. Wow. That's that's way more than me. That's us. That's we. And do you want to be part of a family that lives in peace with God and each other? oh, now we're starting to expand the circle even more than just just me and even this congregation. Do you want to be able to call God Father? You see, this is what God has called us to. And now that you've heard the good news and responded to it, Paul is saying, therefore, walk worthy. So let's unpack this just a little bit more. Walking with lowliness and gentleness. If our starting point is, in thinking about the church as what we need to do to live in unity, at peace with one another, then we should be thinking about what breaks the peace. What's the opposite? What causes disunity? Well, or more maintaining unity. I think pride is somewhere near the top of that list. Now, Paul doesn't say the word pride here, or doesn't speak specifically against it, but in effect he is by talking about lowliness and gentleness, Pride is a terrible thing, and I am as guilty and probably more guilty than anybody in this room of this. Who among us is the most likely to think that they are indispensable to the church? Well, who's impressed with their own self-importance and think that the church should be somehow built around us? Now you may not say those words. Let me give you some some things to think about. If you are someone who is important outside the walls of this church, you are more likely to view yourself as being super important inside the church. Some of you have positions of responsibility in your organizations. You are in a position where you make the tough decisions, you are the man or the woman. You were born to lead. Maybe you're wealthy. Maybe you're important in society. If that's the case, you need to be careful. It's just like all of the teaching that we see of of, of Jesus and and, and Paul as well, but there was a lot of of warnings for those that were rich. It didn't say you have to be poor to be a Christian. Some have taken that position, and that's, that's wrong. I think that's not biblical. But he says, be careful. Watch out. You have a dose of um, humility that you need to pay attention to because you probably have a dose of pride that needs to be addressed. So for you fit that description, walking worthy in humility and meekness is going to be challenging. There are some of you in the room who are more disposed to to having a temper than others. For you, being lowly and gentle is going to be more challenging because you're predisposed to be angry quicker. I dare say that describes me. I have that tendency. Thank you very much. (laughs) We'll blame it on the other side of the family. How about that? I think the second group of people that struggle with walking in humility and meekness are those who are in leadership positions in the church. You know, it's one thing to sit in church on Sunday morning and secretly wish that the worship time was longer or shorter or that you sang different songs. Why did he lead that one again? Why does he lead that one? I don't even know that song. Why does he lead that one? We always sing that one. You were wishing that the, the sermons were longer. I know that's most of you. Or or that they were topical. Or that they were going through books of the Bible. Or that we would talk about the New Testament. Or that we would talk more about the Old Testament. Fill in the blanks. It's one thing to sit in the pew and, and think that. It's another thing to be in leadership. And actually be able to change that. Actually be able to say, this is the way that I want things to be. As a deacon, as an elder, as an evangelist even. You have that power, that authority. You have more likely to get your way, and that's kind of exciting. Or maybe you're the spouse of one of those men. You have a certain um, ability to influence things, let's say. But there's going to be times when you find yourself disagreeing with people about what you should do. There'll be times when you will have an overpowering urge to take your good idea, your version of what the church should look like, and force it through. There's, there's an element of good in that. Lack of vision, the people perish. Okay? However, if you find yourself grabbing others by the throat, physically or metaphorically, and ramming your ideas and your programs down those throats, You need to stop and think about what you're doing, how you're doing it, because it's not showing humility and meekness. It's not showing lowliness and gentleness. I'm not saying don't lead, but leading as a servant is an interesting undertaking. We have to be careful. We have to walk with humility and meekness. I have seen leaders of churches not do that, and it has broken the church apart. I have seen leaders stand on some silly point and destroy a church. Much of what we're talking about today is proscriptive or prescriptive, meaning it's in advance. It's back to a sermon that you've heard me give before. Perhaps it's digging your well before you're thirsty. It's addressing problems in advance. And I am preaching to myself and my fellow elders and our other servants. There's a difference between serving the Lord's church in humility and being a slave to the church, as Paul talked about in Mark chapter 10, and confusing your personal preferences with what's best for the church. There's a third group, I think, perhaps struggles in this area with walking and in humility and meekness, lowliness and gentleness. And that's people that really haven't committed to the church. You see, many people, when they first choose a church, they do so with a consumer mentality. Why am I here and not the church down the street? Right? Well, maybe it's because you got invited or something like that for the first time. But Why do you go back? Well, for some of you, it's because your family is here. This is the church that you have roots in. For others, it's because the church, this is the church that best meets your perceived needs. You enjoy the worship service. The preaching is most of the time tolerable, and it's not too far from home. And all things considered, eh, it's like a six out of ten. And the church down the road is like a four. So you're here. You view church basically as being about you. If this is you, if this describes you, you are going to struggle to walk in meekness and humility. Because if something in the church changes that was really important to you, you know, we used to do seven songs during the worship service and we now do six. There were some people that that was kind of important to. And I can talk about other differences that we have done within the worship service. I, you know, uh, whether we, When we went away from having a Sunday night service, we used to be 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. And we, we changed things around and did away with the, the, the evening service. That didn't go over well with some people. And I can go on and on with changes that have occurred that you may say, yeah, that was a great move. And others you may say, mm-hmm, I'm still kind of burned up about that. But if that's you, if you're still hot under the collar about a change that has happened or that may happen in the future, who knows? COVID was weird and there may be other weirdness that happens in the future. It's no longer a six out of 10. It's now a three. And you realize, I don't want to go there anymore. They're not meeting my needs. At, at at some point, you've got to think, I can see why the church did this. I don't personally like it. I wish they hadn't. But in humility and meekness in lowliness and gentleness, out of my love for the church and the desire to keep unity and peace, <clears throat> I'm OK with it. That's a difficult thing to do. I'll admit it. That's a difficult thing to do to th- th- this word. Lowliness and gentleness is not about being a throw rug for people to walk on. It's about having power, personal power, that you purposely hold back and control. That there's lots of things you could say. And with your rapier wit and with your, your um, thesaurus-like knowledge of the English language, you could skewer someone with your words. And yet you don't. That is lowliness and gentleness. An example of. Let's move on. Walking with patience or long-suffering. Now, the word patience in English or long-suffering here there's basically two different Greek words that get translated into patience or long-suffering. The one that is being used here by Paul, it's called uh, macrothumia. This is patience with people, long, enduring temper, long fuse. You know, you've heard people talk about the patience of Job. Okay, that's different. That's a different Greek word. That is putting up with things, waiting. He wasn't He wasn't having to be patient with people. I mean, there were his miserable comforters, his friends. But he was patient with just things that were going on with him and to him. This is about being patient with people, long-suffering toward people. There are times when you're going to get frustrated with each other. Some people, other people, never you, are stubborn and they refuse to change. They just keep doing the same thing over and over and you don't like it and it tears you up. Or they annoy you to no end. I don't know. Other people don't always walk in humility and meekness. They don't always walk in lowliness and and, and gentleness. And that's super-duper frustrating. But he's calling you to be patient with each other, knowing that we are different from one another. Next on the list, bearing with one another in love. It it ties to this. It means putting up with one another in love. Not just gritting your teeth and bearing it, but in love. You see, there may be people in this church, when they start talking to you, it's all you can do to not walk away because they annoy you. Or maybe you start daydreaming. You see... If I was going to start a social group from scratch, I don't know that it would look like this group. Because some of you don't like to play board games. Some of you are not into World War II history. You're not into music. You don't even like Billy Joel. I pray for you. But you're different than me. And I'm different than you. And that's what brings unity. That difference of people and their backgrounds and their likes and and interests is what brings us together. You see, some of you like boring stuff like golf and fishing. I'll pray for you, too. See, it's putting up with one another in love. What does that mean? Let's be more specific. That does not mean gritting your teeth and bearing it until you get in the car and then you can complain about how long that sermon was or how annoying that brother so-and-so was. And I couldn't get away from him and he just kept talking and talking and talking. I'm going to put up with it un- until. And then I'm going to gossip about them. Or I'm going to backstab them. As soon as they're not around. And then heaven help you if there's actually a disagreement between you. Now we've got problems see where the root is? The root is me. The root is pride. We put up with one another in love knowing that they and I are part of God's family. And we are happy that they have placed their allegiance in Jesus and are part of this family. I mean, it'd be nice if we can just say loving each other. But this talks about bearing with one another in love. It's more specific than that. All right, moving along. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The word that's translated endeavoring here talks about um, rushing toward or hurrying toward to, to do something. You know, there are times in church when there are disagreements. We all have different things that are important to us. There will always be reasons for us to disagree. But what do we do when it happens? We go back to this verse and we say endeavoring, working toward, hurrying toward, not delaying, not putting it off, not thinking or hoping that it's going to magically get better by itself. There are other passages that that address this as well in, in Matthew 18 and other places that encourage us to address problems. See, if your unity has broken down, rush to fix it. Endeavor, work hard to fix it. You know that God is creating one family who live at peace with each other and with him. And if that peace is broken, it needs to be fixed, and it needs to be fixed fast. If you said or did something that you shouldn't have, you rush to apologize and address it. If someone else hurts you, you rush to forgive. To keep the peace. You see how that two-way street works? You see, my natural reaction, and perhaps yours, when your peace the peace is broken, is not going to be to work to keep the unity. It's going to be to stand off. When my wife and I have a disagreement, I don't want to rush to go fix it. I want to stay away. The natural reaction is going to be to stay away or to gossip or to backstab. Did you hear what he said? Let me tell you, let me tell you what he did to me. Now, this has been about 15 years ago, but let me just tell you what happened. It happens all the time. And if it's bad enough, you leave the church. If it's bad enough, you leave a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've seen it happen. You not only leave this congregation, you go and you leave your relationship with the Lord because of what Sister So and So said or did to you. Maybe you let it simmer. Forever. It becomes like, then it becomes a root of bitterness. If something has happened, you need to rush to make things right. The Holy Spirit has united all of us. And when that unity is broken, there's an urgency to address church unity. I said earlier that some of you may feel like you don't have a lot in common with each other. And if we were to start in a social group, that it may not look like these people that you see in the pews next to you and around you. And perhaps if we were starting a casual group, we were hanging out, we would run out of casual conversation things to talk about soon. We don't just don't have enough in common, right? We we'd kind of run out of things. We just stare awkwardly at the ground or whatever. But you see, we have the most important things in common, the most valuable things in common. Ephesians chapter one explains who we are in Christ. That that we are that we are unity personified. We are one body. We are one spirit. We all have one Lord. We all have share one faith. We've all had one baptism. We have one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see that picture that he's he's, he's painting of it being woven. In us and around us and through us and and all of the prepositions, all the things, in, on, around, of, whatever preposition you want to think of, that's Christ in us. So maybe it doesn't seem like we've got a lot in common. But when it comes to the most important things in life, we are all united. God has made us one. We are not making us one. God made us one. That's our unity. No matter what connections we have, and there are many, and we celebrate those and we want to develop those. Our commonalities, the things, travel. Some of you, we have, we have travel in common. We have music in common. We have um, uh, our alma maters are in common. Where we grew up is in common. You grew up on a farm. You grew up in the city. All the different ca- connections that we have, fantastic Most important is our unity in Jesus Christ. Most important is the fact that we are part of God's family. So what does it mean to walk worthy of your calling? It doesn't mean you as a lone ranger Christian struggling to live faithfully toward God in isolation. It means walking and living in humility as part of God's people in peace with each other. Rushing to keep that peace. So how should we you walk? Walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling. As a member of the Lord's family. If we can help you in that walk this morning. Please let us know. Come and have a seat on the front pew as we sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church. Please go to normanchurch.com normanchurch.com normanchurch.com